I've been listening to Me and My Gang by Rascal Flats for basically as long as I can remember. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hey everybody, welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Hey, that's me. That is, that's you. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. Welcome back for another exciting week. So I, I did some homework. <laughs> yeah? What, yeah. I hope you listened to the, don't tell me you didn't listen to the album. No, I listened to the album, don't worry. I did that as well. Good. But, you know, we talked a bit in the last episode about Spin It Pete. Spin It Pete. Yeah, that was... And that got me thinking, like, how we could embody the spirit of Spin It Pete, you know? I guess. Spin It Pete was a joke about the name of one of Anthony Green's former bands, wasn't it? Yeah, Handsome Pete. Handsome Pete was the band name, but we said... Well, we're Spin It Pete. Yeah, Spin It Pete would be a, a good name as well for some reason. I think you were driving that train. Uh, I'm usually driving the weird trains like that, so... Choo-choo, here we go. You're the weird, <laughs> you're the weird conductor. <laughs> So, you know, I always felt like we also needed a little mascot for the podcast. Oh, yeah, a mascot. Okay, like beyond Captain Spin and the Mixtaper? Uh, well, those are two identities that make up this part of the dynamic of this podcast, you know? And the Mixtaper's a real person. He's not the mascot as much as he probably wishes he was. Well, you know, sure. You're right. I... That makes sense. Yeah, I got thinking, what better name for our mascot than Spinipede, and what would Spinipede look like? And I've sent you a picture of what the art department came up with. Ooh, I love him. It's a little <laughs> record with a face and arms and legs. He's a little cartoon record. This is... Spin it Pete, then. Yes, this is Spin it Pete. I mean, the writing department might come up with a better name for him. That's true. But for now, he's the embodiment of Spin it Pete. The spirit of Spin it Pete in a body with a name TBD. Yep. Maybe we'll call him Spinny for short. <laughs> I'm glad you like him. And I hope you guys like him, too. I hope we can do some fun stuff with him down the road. Yeah, we'll see where he pops up next. But for now, we'll talk about Rascal Flats a little bit. Oh, is that who we're doing? Yes. See, that stuff like that makes me concerned that you haven't listened to the album. <laughs> I know you have. What if I told you I hadn't listened to a single album the entire time we've been doing this podcast and I've just been faking it? You've managed to sing along to some of the songs really, really well if you were just guessing at them. Yeah, you're right. I'm not as good a liar as the mixtaper. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So there's no way that you, who grew up in a predominantly country music household, there's no way that you don't know Rascal Flats, at least a little. Oh, no, yeah. My grandmother had this CD, and anytime we drove in her car, this is what was playing. So I've heard a lot of these songs a lot of times. Yeah. The country music video channel was like always what was on TV growing up. So I've seen a lot of the music videos that go along with some of these singles. Rascal Flats, I'm pretty familiar with. Yeah, same here. I, I have a lot of the same experiences where it was played all the time. Country music channel on TV and stuff like I know Rascal Flats pretty much inside and out. I feel like there's some pretty big songs on this one. Yeah, this is definitely one of their most popular records. We wanted to pick one of their earlier albums for this podcast. Well, I say we, I did. <laughs> and I was torn. Yeah, I get no I get no choice in what I'm forced to listen to week to week. Well, yeah, well, you had the band Camino. We need to do like a punch card system where, you know, every so many ones you make me listen to, I get to pick 
pick one. Huh. I can turn in my ticket once I have 10 punches or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Well, I wanted to pick an earlier of their albums. And I was really, really struggling between this one and their self-titled debut in 2000. So I put out some feelers on social media. And this one seemed to be the preferred option. Okay. From the little tiny bit of polling I did. So I think... Is this from the R&D department then? Yes. Yeah, me and my gang was the winner. Uh, why don't you tell me, and by me, I mean the audience, about Rascal Flatts? Oh, I'll tell you and your gang. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The audience is my gang now. Rascal Flatts had a pretty illustrious career in country music. They were active from 1999 up until the ending of this year, 2021. <laughs> yeah, poor one out for the boys. At this point, Rascal Flatts has officially disbanded. Or went out for them and their gang. Yeah. Rascal Flatts has officially called it quits. <laughs> They've retired as a band. And, you know, they're still doing solo projects, some of them. But their days as Rascal Flatts are seemingly behind them for now. They're from Columbus, Ohio. They are. Ohio represent. The band was made up of Gary LaVox, the lead singer, Jay DeMarcus, who played the bass and sang, and Joe Don Rooney, who played the lead guitar and also sang. And that's one of their key staples is that all three of them sing in very very tight harmony that's kind of what makes their sound yeah jay and gary are second cousins actually and when jay came to nashville in 1992 he found some success in a christian band so he asked gary to move down with him in 97 to kind of just do some background vocals and help out with that project and that's where the two of them met up with joe don they all started playing together when a backup guitarist couldn't make it to a gig so everything just kind of clicked into place for them to become rascal flats and of course like we mentioned they did announce that they were disbanding in 2020 after a farewell tour that never got to happen they released a final ep that was called how they remember you in june of 2021 and then they kind of just quietly dissolved later in the year yeah sad it is sad i mean they were kind of one of country music's more iconic acts for the first part of the millennium yeah and you could tell because of the number of awards they've won my goodness the list is extensive even as early as 2000 they were winning all kinds of things they earned the acm top new vocal group award in their very first year as a band and they've got more cma cmt and acm awards than we could even ever list they are very gilded among the country music crowd they some gilded boys that's right they've got billboard awards they were nominated for grammys in 2005 2006 2008 and 2009 and rascal flats was a top selling artist at one point in their career way back in 2006 when this album came out they sold 5 million physical albums and more than 4 million digital tracks which is so impressive because think about the state of digital music in 2006 yeah right that's like downloading things for your non-apple mp3 player all those people putting them on their ipod shuffles yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so to sell four million of those is no small feat by the time they decided to stop touring in 2020, they'd sold over 11 million concert tickets over the course of their career, with 16 different headlining tours. Very, very popular live band. You know what's weird about Rascal Flats? And I teased this a little bit at the end of the Anthony Green episode when we were talking about this band. You asked if this was old school country or new school country, and I said, well, it's kind of middle school country. Yeah. And that's because Rascal Flats, I mean, aside from the obvious fact that they came out in between new modern country and old school country chronologically they also appeal to a strangely younger fan base you know these are three guys that were always in their 20s and 30s in the band and yeah a 
lot of their fans were kids, middle school kids, high school kids. Kids 12 and under named Rascal Flatts as one of their favorite country artists, and they pulled really, really high among teens, too, which is just an interesting fact. It's because they're like the boy band of country music. Oh, that's a great way. Yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. I mean, not to mention, too, think about people like you and me, whose parents and grandparents listen to Rascal Flatts all the time. Mm-hmm. And since that's what we heard, that was what we got into. Yep. But anyway, I mean, it's safe to say that they were pretty popular and very consistent over the last 22 years. A couple little more fun trivia tidbits. Do you remember when they were in the Hannah Montana movie? Yeah, I do. Listen, you can just go ahead and mark me down as the spin it Hannah Montana movie fan club president. <laughs> That's so specific. <laughs> so you better believe that I know them from that. Now, if you haven't listened to the album Me and My Gang yet, I would highly recommend you take this opportunity and go do it. It's a pretty packed full record. I mean, there are a lot of songs on it. It's 14 tracks and there are very few dull moments. So if you like country music, worth a shot yeah there's a lot of really kind of iconic rascal flat songs on this one like when you think rascal flat song a lot of the ones you're gonna think of i think are gonna be on this album yeah absolutely at least a handful me and my gang came out in 2006 and it's country mostly i mean very predominantly even though the title track and life is a highway kind of just have a little bit of a country rock bite to them like just a little twinge of rock mostly this is a very country record it's turn of the millennium country music very unique in its style this is the band's fourth studio album that's sandwiched between feels like today and still feels good like i said they're like a boy band of country music i don't know they got those tight harmonies some of their songs kind of have a pop flair to them that all modern country music has nowadays not all of it but yeah very much a majority of it a lot of it yeah me and my gang is certified five times platinum in the u.s like i mentioned in 2006 they had five million album sales It peaked at number one on the Billboard 200, and it was number four all genre on the 2006 year-end chart. The band is only three people, but it took a village to make me and my gang, including 30 additional musicians and more than 15 people to record, produce, and design the album. Not to mention all the songwriters who contributed, because more than 20 writers played a part on these 14 tracks. In case you're curious, no, Rascal Flatts did not contribute to more than half of these songs. So no bonus point. No bonus point. That's a common thing in country music though there's a lot of country music writers out there yes very many yeah pieces to make her love me and cool thing are the only three songs that the band had a hand in writing interesting yeah (laughs) what we'll get to it yeah but shout out to jeffrey Steele, one of the biggest contributors to this record and i mean he's contributed to tons of modern country music and you might not know his name but you definitely know his music he co-wrote some of the record's biggest and most enduring hits including my wish and what hurts the most Okay. Go Jeffrey Steele. I recognize that name. I don't know why. Yeah, I've met him actually. You met Jeffrey Steele? I did. I was in a class and he came in to talk to the songwriting class that I was a part of. And he sat down at the piano and he played with just him and the piano what hurts the most that he wrote. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, it was just lovely. That's cool. He put so much emotion into it. He's a great singer and songwriter. So that's really cool. Just that's a name that you should know. Much like Quincy Jones was a name you should know for Michael Jackson. Jeff Steele is a guy that you should take note of when you're looking at Rascal Flatts songs. Well, I think this is the point in the podcast. Oh, you oh, heard ding, the bell. Ding, 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 dinner time. Oh, you heard the bell. You know what that means. That means it's time for yet another week of the fantastic, the fabulous, the uh, fun, don't hide, funky, don't, don't hype his ego up, uh, flipping terrible game show, Factor Spin. 
Hey, it's me! I really like all those adjectives you were giving my game show. You must really like it. Well, you know, uh, when I win, then I really like it. On times that I don't win, I like it less. I'm a fair weather fan of Factor Spin. Mm, uh, that's understandable when you're the only player, really. <laughs> yeah, you got a good point. I lose against you, but you don't really play the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the host. I lose to the house. <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. The house always wins, is what they say. Yeah, but the house is currently losing. Hopefully that'll change. Let's just jump right into it this week. Sure. So my first fact, going to sound a little familiar for those who have listened to previous episodes. Don't you dare. Don't you dare tell me that Rascal Flats yodeled at the Olympics. <laughs> I'll quit. I really wish that that's what I did now. So Gary Lavox was once roommates with Jamie Foxx. No. Okay. <laughs> this again? Go ahead and ask your questions. Maybe the information's changed this time. Well, I know a little tiny bit more about Jamie Foxx since the last episode. And I know Jamie Foxx is from Texas. So when did he and Gary Lavox get together? in room so in the late 90s the two were roommates in california what was gary doing in california i don't know uh, no way are you kidding <laughs> Uh, probably pursuing music out in California. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he must have been. How did they meet? How did, What were the circumstances of them finding each other? In an interview, he said, the way we were brought together, it was about music. Every single moment that we were doing this, it was about music. Just trying to figure out how to come up. This was Jamie Foxx talking. This was years ago. Then to see him now, 30 billion records later. It's amazing. So they came together through the love of music, I guess. That's very, like, not descriptive. And much like last week, they're still friends and they text one another and visit one another. And supposedly, Gary's supposed to take Jamie bow hunting. This was in 2006 or seven. this interview. I don't know if he ever actually took him bow hunting or not, but he was supposed to. You don't say just like last week, because last week wasn't true. Oh, uh, yeah, but the information was the same. He doesn't talk to Anthony Green. If this is the same spin <laughs> two weeks in a row, that's a power play on your part is it are you gonna go with true you don't think i'd do it twice in a row you're gonna let me get away with it i mean for all i know you probably found this fact about gary first and then went and put it in the anthony green episode just so i would screw up on this one maybe you're going with fact whoa you're putting words in my mouth oh sorry sorry no i'm going with spin you're going with spin i don't know who jamie fox roomed with but i don't think it was gary <laughs> All right, so you're locking in spin. I cannot. Just on principle, I cannot let this be an absolute lie twice in a <laughs> row. So I have to say spin. All right. Well, this is a fact. You called <laughs> it earlier. Yeah, I found this fact while researching. I was like, let's put this in the previous episode and really mess with them. Because it's exactly something that you would do to lie <laughs> about that twice. Yeah, they were roommates. Well, dang. Yeah, I'm really glad that paid off. That was, you put you put weeks of effort into that <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, this has started a whole new meta for factor spin <laughs> that i don't like up next rascal flats helped bring nashville hot chicken to ohio well first of all no they didn't but they brought chicken that is spicy to central ohio trust me i've had central ohio hot chicken and i've had nashville hot chicken generally speaking not the same okay if you insist Tell me more. Did they open a restaurant? Did they sponsor somebody? Well, they didn't. They sponsored a restaurant that was opening in Columbus, Ohio called Hot Chicken Takeover. Yes, I've heard of Hot Chicken Takeover. Is that just a Columbus exclusive restaurant or is it like a national chain? Not anymore. It is now expanded to other locations across Ohio. Tell me about their hot chicken. Tell me what they think Nashville hot chicken is. I haven't had it. Have you? Me? No, I have not. It's another place to add to the list, though. Of places spinning can go on the road. <laughs> Ever-growing 
spin it eats its way across America. Yes. Uh, so in the fall of 2013, so this is a testimonial from the people who actually own the restaurant and opened it. Uh, in the fall of 2013, we experienced Nashville's famous hot chicken culture for the first time. We were instantly hooked. And then they go on and on to talk about how they came up with their own hot chicken recipe that's based off of the Nashville hot chicken recipe. I feel like we should mention for all of our non-Nashvillean listeners, hot chicken is kind of like a staple thing down here. It's like the food item that the city is known for. It's like, think what beignets are to New Orleans or something. That's what hot chicken is to Nashville. Yeah. When Rascal Flats, who two of the members, as you mentioned, are from Columbus, Ohio, heard about the endeavor, they sponsored and helped, you know, invest and get this operation up and running and even performed at the opening of the restaurant. Mm, I feel skeptical about this one. Yeah. What's making you feel skeptical? Well, I've heard of hot chicken takeover. I know it's a real place and I'm sure they've opened more stores and expanded because hot chicken. Sure. What I'm not sure about is Rascal Flats contributing. I mean, you just said that their first restaurant was a really small restaurant and stuff. And, but it sounds like they come from humbler beginnings. Well, you haven't asked why Rascal Flats was interested in helping them. Well, I thought they just really liked hot chicken. There's a little more to it. Okay, what else? So I mentioned that Rascal Flats found out about the Endeavor. And how did they find out about said Endeavor, you may be asking? How did they find out about said Endeavor? Their family, when they came down to visit, had some national hot chicken and mentioned a restaurant trying to open up near where they live that was doing the same thing. And that piqued, you know, Rascal Flats' ears. Peaked their ears? I don't know. Peaked their ears, is that right? No, but, but go on. I don't know. I'm bad at turns of phrases. They became intrigued because, you know, they're big fans of hot chicken. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, they're investing and hoping. Okay. Uh, yeah, I still think this is fake, though. Still going with fake? All right. I tried to alleviate your concerns. Well. Mm, I feel like you're just hot chicken biased. Maybe. Be that as it may, I'm going to say spin again. All right. Well, this fact is indeed a spin. Everything was true except the Rascal Flats part. Woo! Hot Chicken Takeover, like you said, it exists. All their story. I took all their testimonials right from their website. That's the thing, too, is because you took all their testimonials and nowhere did they say Rascal Flats or anything about anything. Well, that one was a spin, so good job, I guess. Ugh. All right, no shutouts. Well, up next, they were supposed to voice characters in Cars. Oh, characters that still exist in the movie? Or were they characters that were cut altogether before the thing was made? They were characters that were cut. What were their characters supposed to do? I mean, were they supposed to sing Life as a Highway as Cars? They were supposed to be a trio of cars that would pass through Radiator Springs, meet Lightning McQueen, and think he was like an imposter. Oh, like a knockoff. Yeah, like a knockoff. And they critique his appearance. Like, oh, you don't look like Lightning McQueen. He's redder and the lightning's like, the, you know, things like that which is like the joke because he is lightning mcqueen yeah i love that why was that cut if it never existed why didn't they write that and if it did exist why did they cut that yeah it was written it was recorded it was all done up but due to time restraints it didn't move the plot along enough maybe i don't know but it was cut i like that better than the scene that does exist in the movie where the two cars pass through town and are lost trying to find the interstate yeah that seems not as good but is it true oh i'm skeptical about this one too i want to believe that this is true i really do but I'm gonna have to go with spin. It's a spin. Yes. You got it. But yes. how great would that scene be? Come on. That'd be such a better scene. I agree with you. That is such a good addition to the movie. I know. He's so much better. All right. That's another one. You're doing good. Yeah. Okay. I'll take a win on that. I got one more for you. I saved a doozy for last. I don't like that kind of an introduction, but I'm ready to hit a doozy out of the park. I'm gonna grand slam this one. <laughs> You're gonna grand slam that doozy. I'm gonna slam it grandly. You doozy grand slam slammer. 
The band wrote a Shakespearean inspired play. Oh, yeah, that's a doozy. Start swinging for the fences. What you got? Which Shakespearean work or works inspired this play? Romeo and Juliet. Okay. And it's like a full length theatrical play meant for a stage. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what's it called? I have no idea. Oh, did it ever get published? Did it get any traction? Oh, gosh, no. Why did they do it? So specifically, it was the two cousins. Sure. While in high school, they had to write a scene that was based off of a Shakespearean-inspired play, and so they wrote it based off of a sequel to Romeo and Juliet, but with a twist. Oh, a twist, you say? Yeah. What's the twist? Romeo doesn't get impulsive and kill himself before Juliet wakes up, and so the two are able to escape You know, their feuding families and live out their life. It's a what if, but Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, it started as a school assignment, but they had so much fun writing it, they decided to write the whole thing. I don't know if they did like stage cues and stuff, but they wrote the script at least, and they're still fond of it. Uh, Any idea how long it took them to finish this product? Nope. I choose to believe that they like just finished it up last year. Like they started it in high school and they've been working this whole time. <laughs> and that's what, that was the glue that was holding the band together. And once they finished it, they were like, all right, we got to go our separate way. Rascal Flats was just a, a way for them to make money while they wrote this play. <laughs> Soon it's going to take off. Just you wait. That's the new headcanon. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm feeling yeah. good. I had a miss at the start, but I've got my two wins under my belt now. I think I'm going to say this is true. Going with true. I am. And that's because I mean, would you lie to me all these times? Would I lie to you about Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. Would I lie to you three times in a row? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're locking in true? I'm locking in true because, sure, everyone gets caught up in these high school projects that they just do for the fun of them sometimes. Or am I just a nerd? You're just a nerd because this is a spin. Really? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> eh, well, I figured uh, I was really hoping this one would get you. <laughs> this is a full spin, 100%? This is a full spin as far as I'm aware. Just made it up completely i did a lot of just making up completely this week if 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 i can get gary and jay to write a romeo and juliet sequel by the time the next episode comes out i want you to give me this point back deal deal oh awesome great okay gary jay if you're listening uh, they don't even have to write the whole thing if they can get like an entire scene uh, if they just open it just the opener yeah it's got to be a full complete scene though it's got to really set the stage right gary jay if you're listening help a guy out please yeah help me out by not doing it please 50 50 though your risky fact choice did not pay off and so 50 50 again deadlocked yep as usual <laughs> I, i'm not even surprised this week well thanks for another week of factor spin next week we'll i guess try and mix the ratio up see you next week yeah all right goodbye mixtaper and of course welcome back to connor who's been here i, I just want to remind you has been here the whole time just listening never left no from a safe distance yeah he's just been listening from the safest distance you got bamboozled by jamie fox i know i'm never gonna be able to look jamie fox in the eye with dignity never probably gonna ever get the chance to look jamie fox in the eye with dignity so i don't think you have to worry too much you're trying to say that i don't have dignity trying to say you're never gonna be jamie fox but take that as you will i guess that's probably (laughs) true and i guess we should get into talking about me and my gang what do you think of this album cover it definitely fits with as i've described them the boy band vibe absolutely it does it's the band all laid back lean back sitting down on a bunch of steps outside of this door with iron bars over it angsty like angsty like yeah but not real angsty the kind of angsty that you put on when the photographer says try and look angsty like your ex-girlfriend keyed your truck level of angst like if you were in the hannah montana movie and you're trying to look angsty yeah this is what that would be (laughs) it's a very vanilla angst 
if you wanted to call it that. It's very blue, too. I mean, that's what I noticed. Well, there's a lot of sad songs on it, so that kind of fits, I think. No doubt. I mean, maybe Jumping the Gun, we're still on the album art, but this is, I know they didn't write all these songs, but this is like a Rascal Flatts breakup album in a lot of ways. Maybe that was foreshadowing now when they actually broke up. Oh, wow. Too soon. It's a, it's a fine album cover for a 2006 album. Honestly, I don't think for that era, we can expect anything better. I feel like it fits early 2000s. You take the CD out of that case with this angsty blue album cover you pop it in the cd player and the first song that you're gonna hear is called stand it is indeed called stand i like stand as a song but hear me out i think it's a very interesting choice to start this record i don't like it as a record opener interesting i feel like it sets the tone for the record fairly well yeah it does it does in terms of like lyrics and thematically it absolutely sure but i mean you've got like me and my gang awesome motorcycle gangs and this moody angsty cover like let's go rock out and then we get this song which is just a soft country song about perseverance yeah when the song started i immediately went oh this takes me back (laughs) yeah i know it feels like nostalgic immediately for me the song starts out with some really cool imagery you know feel like a candle in a hurricane just like a picture with a broken frame i do really like the hit on the first chorus like you know that first verse is kind of more so doing than they really hit that first chorus well oh yeah well that's the first time they bust out into their signature harmony it's such a staple of their sound the chorus also has a good cadence to it but when push comes to shove yeah you taste what you're made of yeah and I mean, not to mention there's tons of great steel guitar in this song and, of course, throughout the record. I feel like I'm going to bring it up now and then say it eight million more times. But the steel guitar is like the cherry on top of their country style. And I think it's part of what helps Rascal Flatts so perfectly bridge the gap between 90s country and early 2000s country. Like, they're the perfect transition piece because they have this boy band-esque vibe mixed with the steel guitar and the harmonies, like this classic country element. So they kind of fit right in the negative space between old country and newer country at the time. Yeah, they also definitely follow the early 2000s country technique of just using similes and metaphors all over the place in their songs. Yeah, Stand is a song that's full to the brim of mixed metaphor. And, you know, sometimes that would get annoying. And sometimes on this record, it does get old. However, I think on a song like Stand, it works, where you're just giving examples of things and kind of relating back to that central theme of persevering through difficulty. It helps to have those visual illustrators because there's only so much you can say about it without getting almost too situational if you're just talking about people. And the bridge leads into this guitar solo, which, by the way, a surprising number of guitar solos on this record. I like them, most of them. I think most of them are pretty good too, yeah. The guitar solo was short on this song though, compared to some of the other ones. Well, it's short on most of the songs, to be honest. Fair enough, compared to like a rock song. Yeah, and I think sometimes a guitar solo can serve to make a song very much like too long. Mm Mm-hmm. But on these songs, they almost need the guitar solo to make the song kind of satisfactory in length. Like, Stand would feel like a short song if you cut the guitar solo. I actually wanted it to be longer. The other thing I noticed is Gary's vocal runs on this song. At the end, he really goes to town. And he does that plenty in other songs, too. And it's impressive. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's one piece of the Rascal Flatts puzzle that I want to point out now. Another piece that fell into place? (laughs) Yeah, right. One more small piece of them that has fallen into place. I just want to point it out now because I'm going to come back to it. And I'm going to add more and more pieces to this Rascal Flatts song, like to this piece of what makes up a Rascal Flatts song. The vocal runs are a piece. The harmonies are a piece. The guitar solos are a piece. Just like get ready for it. I think it's a good song. It's a very inspirational.
foundational song, good imagery, hooky pieces, but it just feels like it's missing the album opening punch for me. And that might be what hurts the most. Good transition. Good transition. We're on it this week. What hurts the most is track two. What a second track. This is one of the few Rascal Flat songs that I still listen to from time to time. Pops up on my playlist, but also will be one that I'll go seek out every once in a while. Yeah, this is one that's going to get stuck in your head, frankly. I mean, you'll just think of it. It's a pretty remarkable song. And, and like we said, this is one of the Jeff Steele cuts. That bass walk down at the beginning phenomenal yeah exactly that yeah i really like again the cadence and the rhythm of the lyrics on this song i could take the rain off the roof of this empty house that don't bother me i could take a few tears now and then and just let them out it's got a very good meter very very good and i love that parallel too between taking the rain and taking a few tears yeah because those are two things that are often correlated in music and symbolism very smart and then too i mean as good as the cadence is on that part of the verse the second half when it gets into the yeah it gets even better it's so good it's an awesome use of those triplets yeah triplets another musical term showing our knowledge (laughs) trying to prove to you that we know some things gotta throw those in every once in a while i think i'm not afraid to cry every once in a while even though going on with you gone still upsets me i think that's one of the best rascal flats pre-choruses ever Out of all of the Rascal Flatts songs I know, this is one of the top. The main hook of the chorus is right at the beginning. What hurts the most was being so close. You didn't sing it right. You didn't say it right. What hurts the most? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, and never knowing what could have been. That harmony, yet again, tight. The instrumentation on this one, too, feels really laid back in the second verse, but they do a good job rolling that into a bigger build into the second chorus. Yeah, I want to back up to the first chorus real fast. Oh, sure, yeah. I really like how, you know, we are talking about how it really drives on the ba-da-da, ba-da-da, on the triplets. Yeah. They really, it really starts to drive the song forward, right? It picks up. Starts to, it's almost like a, like a train picking up speed, right? It starts to pick up. Yeah. And it feels like it's driving forward, chugging along. And then they immediately just slow it back down for the what hurts the most. Yeah. The intensity is still there, right? It's like it was driving to this intensity hit, but then the actual pacing slowed down for that big hit. Yeah. I think that's a really cool feature of this song. Also, I have a question too about the end of the choruses. How do you feel about the line, that's what I was trying to do? Because it feels like the chorus starts so strong and that ending is so much weaker. I think it works because it's again, it's one of those you have to, incorporate in with the previous line right and not seeing that love in you is what i was trying to do it's like a yoda way of saying the line instead of saying i was trying not to see the love in you they really yoda it they yoda it yeah (laughs) that's flats rascal (laughs) it's a very i think clean way to end how they kind of slide it is what i was trying to do they really drag it out so i think it works sure it slows way back down it glides back into that second verse Good. I have a question. Have you seen the music video for this song? I don't think I have, no. It's one of my favorite music videos. So what I really like is music videos that flip the script on what you might initially perceive the song to be about. Okay. You would assume, just off of the lyrics, that this guy has left. You know, it's a breakup song. Yeah, the line watching you walk away and never knowing what could have been kind of implies that. Yep. But the music video puts a whole different spin on this. So what happens in the music video is her significant other dies in a car accident. And the watching you walk away with not having seen the loving you not saying everything i wanted to say is about her thinking about what she could have said before he walked and got into that car and drove off never to be able to be talked to again yeah that's a very interesting twist and it's just a really heart punching way to end the music video it's one of my favorite music videos it sounds powerful yeah so i'll go check that out only other note i had about this song was that final so close that they do in that final course oh yeah yeah what about that i have a note about that too Woo! 
it's so good. Wow. Okay, that's the opposite of my note. Really? You don't like it? I would like it. I would like it if they cut everything out, but they don't because they leave that guitar in the background still winding up. Oh, I like it. No, I like it. I think it needed to be all or nothing, and they chose somewhere in the middle. No, I liked it. Your opinion is wrong, and you should feel wrong. I don't. I feel bad <laughs> that I can stand here strong, cold as stone. And that's later. That's coming. Yeah. <laughs> What's really up next is backwards. Well, hang on. This song makes Connor top three. Oh, okay, okay. Before we move forwards to backwards, let's move backwards a mess. Okay, so what hurts the most is Connor top three. Good pick. Yeah, now into backwards. And <laughs> now into backwards, sure. Backwards is just a fun song. It is such a fun song. I feel like it's always been, uh, it's been a bit of a guilty pleasure type song for me. Like There's nothing special about it necessarily. It's just a fun song to kind of jive to for a little bit. It's quick, short, you know, nothing crazy going on. It's a good break. I put in here that it's a great fast paced song. Sure. It kind of reinvigorates you after the two slower openers and before the next one. Yeah, absolutely. This song is the song we were talking about earlier that is featured in the Hannah Montana movie. One of them, yeah. Can you name the other one? I was going to ask you that. Yeah, they, don't they sing God Bless the Broken Road? Yep, Bless the Broken Road is indeed the other one. You can be a member of the fan club. Oh, cool, cool, awesome. Uh, we should do Miley Cyrus at some point as well. Yeah, maybe someday. I think it's a pretty smart song. It's like a loving critique of country music in a way. It's very self-aware of what country music is. The organ in the beginning was wild to me. It was easy to miss, but it does a lot. There's just an organ back there wailing the whole time. I was like, oh. It's funny, too, because you mentioned that it's very aware of what country music is, but it also, I felt like, a good job of pulling on the older country style. Yes. I don't know. The the first verse feels almost like somebody kind of like talk singing at you, you know, as you're revving up into this. You get your house back, you know, it felt reminiscent of something from back in the Hank William days. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's true. But yeah, we do get out of that slow reminiscent part into what i called the yeehaw bit and that's pretty much the rest of the song the whole idea behind it is the thing that you get when you play a country song backwards is all the good stuff coming back because normal country music is they take all that stuff away yeah you know your typical country songs your woman left you your dog left you your truck died you know it's a lot of sad songs about things going away now i have to point out though it's true there are a lot of country songs like that but have you ever once in your life heard a country song about losing a washing machine uh not that i can think of i'm sure it exists no see because that stuck out to me like a sore thumb i was like one of these things is not like the others <laughs> when you play a country song backwards they bring back your washing machine okay whatever <laughs> But I love it. There's a lot of clever little things in here that, you know, stuff you can't get back. It reminded me of a Charlie Daniels song as well. Oh, yeah. It feels a lot like a Charlie Daniels type song. And there's a fiddle that comes in there, right? Around the bridge somewhere, a fiddle sneaks in. Absolutely. And it's a pretty furious fiddle. It, it really goes to town. Certified poetry. I would call the washing machine buffoonery. <laughs> the washing machine is absolutely buffoonery. You're right. Certified poetry with a nice dash of buffoonery sprinkled throughout. So we've had a lot of good things to say about this album on the first three tracks. Uh, but unfortunately, we got to move on to song number four, which is the first one that doesn't do what I want it to do. Really? And I feel bad about it. So, yeah, the song is I Feel Bad. First, tell me what you wanted it to do. I don't know. All right. Well, you're setting some really <laughs> ambiguous expectations. The first chorus doesn't hit as well as the other three songs for me. Uh, it felt forced. 
okay, I, I feel like that makes sense. And I think part of the problem is they say, I feel bad before the chorus. You know, it doesn't come up in the chorus until the end of it, but they put it in right at the very start of it. The whole idea of the song, the whole snag of it is, I feel bad that I don't feel bad. It's a clever Which is angle. clever. I like that. And I like the piano that opens the song as well. Yeah, I really love the piano at the opening and the bass too was a nice touch with it. And the first verse, of course, goes, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I don't know why. And I don't know how the thought of losing you is not killing me. It's an interesting verse. I don't really love it musically. It feels like it's nothing special, but it's kind of nice to have that opposite of what you would normally expect. Like, I should be sad. I should be hurting more. It sets up the chorus well. So this is a song where I noticed another piece. Here's another piece of the Rascal Flatts song writing formula. Okay, if you want a Rascal Flatts song, one thing you might want to include is this descending motif of the music, right? Where the entire chords behind the verse, they go ba 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 ba, like it, it falls as a song. You can hear in the chorus that descent. That happens in so many of these songs. They hit a real cookie cutter section towards the latter third of the album where all the songs feel like reimaginings of previous songs, but worse. Yes, yes, I agree with that. One of the lines that I have to point out that feels a little buffoonery y is he goes, Yeah, I almost wish my heart was breaking, but I can't lie. All I want to do is turn the page. Like that felt like a weaker end to a very strong start on that line. I almost wish my heart was breaking, but I can't lie is an awesome wind up. And then all I want to do is turn the page is just like you know just falls totally flat this book metaphor just comes out of nowhere right it's not like yeah yeah exactly it's the mixed metaphors thing again yeah but they don't mix it in a way that makes sense and i really felt like the bridge just didn't fit the theme of the song was there even a bridge in this one where was the bridge at i uh, for me it went right from like verse two into chorus into like this weird outro what I'm calling the bridge is that part at the end, you know, of this chorus where he goes, I feel bad that I don't feel bitter alone. I just feel it's time. It's time to move on. I just got to move on and on and on and on. Because the whole point of the song is that he doesn't feel bad at all. He's got no sympathy for this, no regrets. I can stand here cold as stone. You know, I got it. But then he's like, I got to move on. You know, I feel like he's already moved on. The whole point of the song is establishing that he's good, you know? Well, no, I think he's saying he's got to move on from feeling bad about not feeling bad. Okay, okay. Is what he's going for here, right? Because the whole song's been about how... He feels bad that he's like, man, I wish I had feelings and I was angry or whatever. And then he's like, I'm spending too much time thinking about that. I've just got to move on from having moved on too easily. Okay, so you're saying he <laughs> zooms out the microscope a little bit. It's just it's a bit more of a bigger picture element. Yeah, because he says, I feel bad that I don't feel bitter alone. I just feel it's time. It's time to move on. I got to move on and on and on. Sure, and on. being tired and numb. Yeah, he feels bad that he's moved on, I guess is what it is. Sure. But now in the outro, accepting that he's got to move on yeah i agree and and the song ends with this really nice piano very very gentle even though we hit a ton of really high highs just before it i mean you, you talked about anthony green not moving enough i really don't think there's even a hint of that on me and my gang i think every song is zero one hundred zero i mean in some regards shall we move on to my next top three yes track five on this record is my wish and okay admit it you've heard this song if you know anybody who's graduated since 2006 maybe gotten married since 2006 anyone who's done anything significant since 2006 <laughs> 
you absolutely have heard this song sometime, right? It's like the quintessential song. It's a great song for like someone moving on to another stage of their life or the future being unknown, full of possibilities kind of song, right? A hundred percent. And what can you say about this song that's bad? It's so strong all the way through and it's part of the reason it's made such an impression. It's another one of the songs that I still listen to. Basic. You've picked all your Connor top three songs that are like the songs that everyone would pick from this record. They're the good ones. They're popular for a reason. It's a great song and I'm a sucker for ballads. I mean, these are, this is the kind of ballads that I wanted Anthony Green to have. All right. Uh, yeah. These big emotional. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> can't even imagine him singing this song <laughs> not necessarily this format but this level of intensity and emotion behind it yeah and they do a good job of hanging you there right before the first chorus the first chorus happens really really big my wish for you <laughs> right it happens so big and you think that it's gonna be hard for them to up the ante the next time around oh but they do <laughs> yeah but boy do they ever i mean woo. i also love too on the last my wish remember my complaint about that moment on stand this one was good this one was great because they dropped everything i was about to ask you about that with the yeah yeah this is my wish or whatever they hold out the word real hard yeah it's fine because they dropped everything they kind of just have committed on the earlier one so i really think that was a smart decision here and of course you know all the lyrics already i feel like it's almost redundant to go into them but my wish for you is that this life becomes all that you want it to i think this song is really smart to be so ambiguous about what it's about uh-huh. out there getting where you're getting to like we don't know who this song is written for or about but we don't need to yeah i was under the notion that it was about his daughter but in a little bit of research apparently he's never said who it's about whether it's an ex or a daughter or no one specific he's never commented on it well he's never commented on it because he didn't write it jeff Steele probably hasn't commented on it much either but that's the thing about it like it means different things uh, but you can take a song you didn't write and choose to sing about it from a place that's meaningful to you exactly well that's what this song is though is that's why it's so popular at graduations weddings life event happenings because you can imbue that meaning onto it it's ambiguous it's like a canvas that you know the initial base layer has been put on for you so you can just instantly pick up a brush and make it what you want i will say i will say one criticism that i have oh sometimes oh rascal flats in general it's not a criticism about this song it's just about rascal flats in general and i noticed it on this song be careful is that their harmonies come out sounding pretty not tonally flat they're on pitch but they sound flat just in sound quality you know interesting they're good they're in tune they're tight but they're produced without much depth to them they almost sound canned in a way you know they're very heavy on the high and the high mid but really like weak on the low end it's like too polished interesting i didn't get that at all yeah i get that a little bit on not even anything they do alongside gary but just when they're alone going my wish for you like in the back i heard it a lot i was like oh i don't like that noise i don't like the i don't like the way it sounds interesting i really like the my wish for you's in the outro that were in the echoing in the background i mean i like the inclusion of them and i i think they're fine to have i just don't think that they're mixed in very well i think they feel you know just too canned interesting but that's just one of the pieces of this song that i could complain about I thought we gave up on this bad transition bit. Fine, we'll do it the boring way. Track six is called Pieces. And like I mentioned, this is one of the ones that members of the band contributed to writing themselves. And it's the next song that's a miss for me. Oh, a big miss, really. I didn't say a big miss, just it's a miss. (laughs) Okay, sure. Don't put words in my mouth. Sorry, I put that word in your mouth. Is it a big miss? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
it just is nothing special. I don't know. It feels cookie cuttery. I can get behind that. I, this is not my favorite song either. I like the guitar. It's very nice and wide. You know, the stereo sound is great. Props to the producers. The verses are weaker. Not my favorites. My broken heart's been shattered one too many times. Is a good setup for the main hook of the chorus, which is... You know, I don't want to see you anymore. Let my heart rest in pieces. But the chorus just is there. I don't want to see you anymore. I'm just not that strong. I love it when you're here. I hate it when you're gone. That lyric in particular, I feel like I could tell an elementary school student to like <laughs> write down the opposite of this line. And that's what they would write. You know, it's, it's a little subpar. And also the fact that you said this is one of the ones that they wrote and that they didn't write many of their songs. It's almost like they were like, hmm, this is songs that's been given to us that people like. Let's try to write our own version of something like that. And then this is what came out. They did have other co-writers on this song that weren't a part of the band, but all three of them were involved in this song along with Monty Powell. I have a question though. Is there a grammatical error in this song? Could be. I don't know. Where are you looking? In verse two. Oh, are you talking about the line that says all the fire we had before are now just bitter ashes? Yeah. Shouldn't it be is? It's not fires. It's singular. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Okay. It stood out to me enough that like I didn't write any notes about the rest of the song. I just was staring at that going, am I crazy or is that bad? Okay, yeah, but I want to talk a little bit more about the second verse, too, because we talked about the first verse. You know, sure, my broken heart's been shattered. This is my experience. I'm living this. And then in the second verse, he just starts off with someone let you down again. Like, why did we change people? I mean, sure, like we get this. I can relate to what you're going through, but it feels different. It's not as immediate and it's not as personal because the song shifts then from a, you know, that you get the first verse of my heart is broken. I don't want to see you anymore. I'm not that strong. Like this is happening to me right now. This emotion is fresh. And then they shift it to this happened to me a long time ago. And I'm telling you this story, other person, because I can relate. And this happened a long time ago. I like the shift. And then he jumps right back to himself on the fire we had before our bitter ashes scattered on the floor like we're back to the speaker no no he doesn't really jump people someone let you down again yeah well he's just saying so you turn to me your convenient friend right 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 the verse is still about him and his experience of her coming back to him it's just the setup for the new situation the two people are in oh it's this person coming back yeah it's just, so you turn to me your convenient friend saying oh. you've been let down by someone else you went to so you come back to me because i'm still on your, the hook you know but i can't deal with it anymore you know i leave me alone okay uh, my heart's still broken from last time that's what i got out of it sure yeah that actually makes a ton more sense this is a complaint that i have about some of their other songs too is it's not really apparent that that's what's going on it is if you know that it is but sure. unless you take the initiative and do that digging they really just don't give it to you and sometimes that's okay in a song i don't mind a song trusting the audience to understand what's going on like on my wish it's it's nice <laughs> it's just in this case they just i feel like they put the kid gloves on with it a little too much and it comes up later in other songs too that we'll get to well, but they are popular with kids yeah right sure maybe that's <laughs> what it was maybe i just think that he's talking to someone else like he's giving advice to a kid who's trying to experience his first like middle school heartbreak he's like they're there you know i remember when i was your age it did catch my ear in the beginning second verse eh, chorus and eh. this song yeah the song is the whole eh. and the other thing too is it never does get up to 10 you know the energy level maybe gets up to an eight maybe a soft eight maybe like a 7.8 well a solid seven in any case but but yeah it's it's okay that's pieces and then we move into this funky doo-wop song yes i do yeah yes i do what is this reggae country action here <laughs> yeah. a little bit of bob marley inspired reggae country yeah i mean somehow they make it work yes they do i don't know about this one lyrically too much on the verses you know this song feels like a reach 
a lot of the lyrics on the verses felt like they were reaching to try and make the chorus work because they liked what they had on the chorus. Yeah, I can get behind that. It's also kind of very minimalistic, both vocally and musically. There's not a lot going on. Because to talk about the verses, each line in the verse asks a question. Do I cry in the night? Do I long to hold you tight? Do I wake wanting you? Yes, I do. Oh, yes, that classic question. Yes, I do. That's the answer to the questions. That's (laughs) how it works. I'm sorry, I thought people would understand. That definitely feels like they put it together to match the chorus. Because the chorus is cool. Yes, I do dream of all we had together. And it's true, we lost it forever. Do I pray anyway? Yes, I do. Yeah, it was like, they were like, we really like this chorus, so let's ask all the questions that set it up. Yeah, exactly. Because the second part of that first verse is, do I remember loving you? Yes, I do. Like, would you have forgotten? I mean, what's the point (laughs) of that line? It just... Okay. I mean, setting up a verse to match a chorus can work. I just don't think it does in this one necessarily. Right. Too forced again. Sure. And they deviate from that question format on the second verse. I don't live in the past wanting love that wouldn't last. I don't ache like I used to. Yes, I do. I like that better. And okay, am I wrong? Is that entire verse ironic? The whole thing is the opposite of yes, I do. I just... I actually, I wish that that verse was maybe transformed into like a verse one length and like format because I like that idea of saying, I don't live in the past anymore. I'm not wanting your love anymore. I'm done. I'm over you. And then he's like, uh, actually, actually, yes, I do. You know, it's like him trying to lie to himself. You're right. That would have been better if it was the entire song or even just the beginning. Yeah. But I think to throw it in here as the second verse. It doesn't work. Really you know? just doesn't work. Yeah, it's it's the cog out of place in the machine. And the machine itself is already like, oh. Yeah. I love the funky beat. Don't really care for the rest of it. This song is weird, too, because it's happy in tone musically with all the bright lyrics and the dreaming and the praying and, and stuff. But boy, does it just not feel happy lyrically. Like... I don't want to call it pathetic, but the whole song is about knowing this love is over and it's never going to happen and just refusing to let it go, you know? I don't know. It's kind of the opposite of I feel bad. I I agree with the pathetic. The next song also has that sentiment to me. The next song is To Make Her Love Me. And this song is sad, but at least it just takes a second to linger in the sadness, you know? It's not trying to happy things up like, yes, I do. This one actually takes a moment to revel in it. This is the third song in a row that I just don't care for. You called the last one pathetic that's how i felt pretty much this entire time listening to this song (laughs) this entire time you felt pathetic the entire song is i've seen what you can do you do all these miracles why can't you make this girl love me like like put some effort in yourself buddy Uh, yeah it's just you whining to god about how this girl doesn't love you like it's kind of pathetic to me that's exactly all this song is yeah and i mean it felt to me like this one fit hand in hand with yes i do because he talks about i pray every day and then this song felt like just a deeper look into that like this is the prayer that he's praying And it really does amplify that patheticness, I guess. Those were literally my only two notes on this song, by the way. I did not have a lot of things on this song. Uh, fair enough. A third song in a row I didn't like and that the entire message of the song was a bit pathetic. Yeah. I did like the chorus better. Yeah, it's good. And at this point in the record, I started to really pick up on those familiar chord patterns. Again, remember that descending motif comes right back in spades here. And it's not that they don't work because they still do. It still feels like you took all of the ingredients of a Rascal Flat song and then put them in a blender and then you just hit blend and this is one of the combinations, you know? Interesting. Yeah, so I mean, keep that in mind when it comes to scores, because it is pretty formulaic sometimes. It just feels like you're making a new shape out of the same building blocks. 
Well, that takes us into track nine, the words I couldn't say. Yeah, this song uh, I mentioned earlier, I felt like they were cookie-cuttering earlier songs, but doing it worse. Yeah. This feels like what hurts the most, but done worse. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're right. Because the whole point of what hurts the most is like, oh, not seeing that loving you and all the things I didn't do and say, and I'm sad. And it's like, that's exactly what this song is. <laughs> Having so much to say and watching you walk away, and now the words I couldn't say. Right. I mean, I do love the idea of regret expressed in this way. There it was at the tip of my fingers. There it was on the tip of my tongue. There you were and I had never been that far. There it was, the whole world wrapped inside my arms. Oh, there's another parallel line. Yeah, hurts the most is being so close. Having the whole world wrapped up in my arms. And let it all slip away. Watching you walk away. You're right. This is exactly, this is like line for line synonyms. (laughs) I didn't realize how deep it went. Yeah. Uh, I did like the faster lyrics and that faster piano within the more melodic bass in the background. But what I think I've noticed a lot about this album is while I like what they do musically, their lyrics are either too cookie cutter or pathetic or reimaginations of old songs. You know, I just, their lyrics kill it for me, even though I'm liking what they're doing musically and stylistically. Yeah. Okay. I do like the chorus lyrically. What do I do now that you're gone? No backup plan, no second chance of no one else to blame. All I can hear in the silence that remains are the words I couldn't say. And I was watching you walk away. (laughs) Yeah, never knowing what could have (laughs) been. I get your point. But I feel like the song isn't weak musically, but I would say that it's weaker than a good chunk of the songs on this record. Yeah. It is one of the ones that breaks the formula. It's not quite as cookie cutter musically as some of the other songs, but as you said, lyrically, it is just... It's tit for tat the same thing as what hurts the most. And this was another one where the backup vocals and the harmony just felt shallow. But of course, that's going to bring us to the title track. Title track. Track 10. All the way down at track 10. This title track is called Me and My Gang. It was a wild start. It was a very wild start. It starts off with a talk box. How absolutely out of character for this record. But, you know, I guess like I've said, any change of form is kind of a refreshing one. I remember liking this song way more as a kid than I do now. (laughs) Oh, you didn't like (laughs) Rascal Flats in a motorcycle gang? I I mean, this song has its merits. I don't know. All that weird, what you call it, a voice box? What you call that? The the weird throat singing stuff? A talk box? Oh, you don't know. Yeah, it's called called the talk box and what it is is you plug it into your instrument okay and there's a tube that goes into your mouth okay and what you do is you make a shape with your mouth and that shape is how the tone of your instrument comes out weird that's why it sounds so strange i don't like it it's the same kind of effect you hear at the beginning of bon jovi's living on a prayer yeah i liked it better there yeah it's better <laughs> there but that's what it is that's a talk box the song is played with the guitars in drop d tuning so the bottom note is lower than a guitar can usually go it's it's an interesting and subtle texture shift this would be a great song to dance to i think but from just a listening standpoint i don't know i didn't care for it it's you know it's whatever california to oregon nice that's like one state you're really going out of your way there (laughs) california's a long state if you start at the bottom if you started at the bottom well he doesn't say where in california he starts he could just be going a mile i don't know i like the lord i was born a rambling man yes also in country music or anywhere have you ever seen someone put the g on rambling no (laughs) i think i think i forget who uh, what is it it's um yeah right i know the the allman brothers right is who did i was born a rambling man the allman brothers do one waylon jennings has a, a significant rambling song yeah whoever did a song with rambling in it first really set the precedent that i think all country music has just followed you can't be rambling you have to be a rambling part of it is that hard g it does it messes up all the momentum we're getting on a ramble tangent 
Ramble tangent. Lord, I was born a rambling man. <laughs> it doesn't work the same. I really uh, like you talking about them mixing things up with this song. I like how they mix up the rhyming scheme in verse two. All of a sudden they start rhyming, you know, within their lines rather than at the end of their lines. They go, we got hippies, gypsies, freaks, geeks. High class women in Daisy Duke denim. Yeah. Yeah. They start rhyming at the halfway points of their lines rather than at the ends of their phrases, you know? And I like that mix up. Uh oh, what's this? It's a surprise game of Factor Spin for you. Oh, no, no. Oh, gosh. I know. You don't ever get to play Factor Spin. I know. I never get to play. Like we talked about, I'm the only one that plays. So I've got a Factor Spin for you. Okay, hit me with it. One of the biggest moments of certified buffoonery on this record and in country music ever Okay. Uh, for me is the line, dude named Elrod jamming on an iPod. Okay, what about it? I'm here to tell you that dude named Elrod jamming on an iPod was not the original line of the song. Okay. The original line is dude named King Kong eaten on a ding dong. Excuse me? Dude named King Kong eaten on a ding dong. That's the original line. Why was that the original line? That's the way the song was written. Instead of dude named Elrod jamming on an iPod. Uh-huh. Well, okay, why was it changed? Is that a question you really need to ask? Do you really think the song would have come out with dude named King Kong eaten on a ding dong? I don't know. It would have been better. I think it would have been better than Elrod and iPod. You're correct. In some ways, it would have been better. But the band requested that the writer change the original line, which resulted in the present monstrosity of Elrod on the iPod. I kind of like King Kong eating on a ding dong. That's a fun image. But is it true? I just imagine him like on top of the building rather than instead of a woman in his arm with the planes. It's him holding like a massive sized ding dong. Just like the snack cake. Yeah, this has to be true. There's no way you made this up. You want to make that up? I didn't make it up. That's true. That's absurd. Uh Uh-huh. Hey, I'm one for one. <laughs> Retire now. You're retiring. Retire now 100%. You beat the house. Leave the facts and spins to the mixtaper. You're not as good. What do, you, what do you mean I'm not as good? It's a fact. The sand. Mixtaper might have fooled me. I mean, sure, I guess so. I do like some of the guitar fills in the chorus. They're pretty nice. And unlike Stand, I think this song does have all the punch of a title track. Like, maybe this should have been the opener. Maybe we switch this in Stand. I don't know. This really, though, doesn't set you up for what to expect on the album. No, you're right. It does It does mess with all your expectations because it's nothing like anything else. Imagine popping the CD out of this blue case, sliding it into the thing, and also you hear... <laughs> I mean, it's, that would work with this. It, it's an album named after this song, and it's a song about a motorcycle gang yeah but you're expecting a country song vanilla angsty rascal flats <laughs> and you get rub, 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 rub. this is still very country i mean yeah. at its core like i said country rock there's a banjo in it if a banjo was all it took to be a country song there'd probably still be about the same amount of country songs there's not very many there's not very many other songs with banjos in them yeah you're right but the next song is called Cool Thing. Another... Really, another bleh. Again, like I said, we hit this really big stride of bleh songs for me. Interesting. I I don't love Cool Thing either, I guess. I, I said interesting like I was going to say something different, but I kind of agree <laughs> with you and I understand. The fir- oh, What I'll say is the first part of this song is really the bleh part. It picks up much more on the back end because the first verse is all about this parasailing renter. <laughs> who sees this cute girl that rents a parasail ride from him and they fall in love. Love at first parasail. That's the classic story, you know, boy meets girl, sells girl parasail ride. Girl takes sleeping pills. Boy doesn't stab himself in the heart impulsively. This, you know what? I want my point because this is Romeo and Juliet too. This is what happened. (laughs) 
You'll have to take that out with the mixtaper. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I will. I appreciate that this song tries to tell a story, but like, I just don't love the premise of it. And I guess the setup in the first couple verses. Yeah, me neither. I like the hit on the word fly. I was down there selling parasol rides just another summer day till I strapped her in and I watched her fly. fly. Good grief. <laughs> That's a little dramatic there, Gary. Dramatic Gary. All I can see are purples and reds and her silhouette waving goodbye. That's the thing he does, though. He gets real dramatic on the ends of some of his verses. He's a dramatic Gary. You're right. I've talked about how I didn't like the beginning. The second part after that first chorus is pretty great. Ankle deep in the ocean, you know the place where footprints disappear. Because that's great with this next bit about driving away and how it's burned in my mind for a million years. I really do like this song. I know I'm a little bit hard on it. Because, again, it's another one that breaks the mold and does a good job telling its story. I just don't think I love the story it has to tell. The hook's pretty good. The cool thing was that I didn't come looking for love either. That's a nice hook. It's a good It's a good play on the term cool thing. Yeah. I think it's really smart of them to have named it cool thing and not neither did I. Oh, a- yeah, absolutely. Because I feel that would have been a very easy trap to fall in, you know, calling it neither did I. So that's the end of their choruses. Like, it's a very traditional thing to do is to in your chorus with the title yes going with kind of the throwaway part the cool thing you know it's like you kind of they kind of barrel past that and the cool thing was neither did i neither did i is what really sticks the song yeah yeah cool thing is just there to set up the end track 12 is a classic of sorts it's called ellsworth named after a city in kansas it's a classic is it is it a classic i don't know i consider it one of rascal flat's bigger and better songs really absolutely i mean i'm gonna agree with you but i think that's not the case for the majority of the rascal flat song at least looking at the at the number of plays on spotify this has i think like the second or third least number of plays people are crazy because i think i'm gonna give this one my vote for favorite this is your favorite i'm so happy to hear you say that because this is connor top three hey there we go wow we agreed <laughs> yeah i love this song i just think the majority of people don't play it maybe because of how sad it is i don't know it's sad this song is so sad but it's very sweet i love the way it starts with this guitar intro it sets the scene very well it's a very pretty start you know unlike the last song which did a good job at telling a story but the story was terrible this song tells an excellent story and it tells it even better this is maybe the best crafted song on the album lyrically and musically i agree with that yes because he establishes the entire setting just in this quick handful of lines at the very beginning i call this the sleeper track on the album it really sneaks up on you it does even when you start listening to it the first line is grandma burned the biscuits and you go what (laughs) but then all of a sudden i mean we're just thrown right into this story three lines in nearly took the house down with her now she's in assisted living we all knew that day would come and he just sets the scene all the characters the situation so quickly and so effectively it's like her mind just quit but bring up grandpa it's like someone flipped a switch and that's all you need before the first chorus i feel like everyone understands perfectly exactly what's going on with that line and then we get into the chorus and the vivid detail contrasted with confused grandma in the verse is amazing she'll put you in that town i mean they really do Front porch light, a blue to soda, a couple straws, and a Coca-Cola. You can see it all going down. You really can. Tomorrow, she won't remember what she did today, but just ask about Ellsworth, Kansas, 1948. Gorgeous. So well executed. I had in here, unlike, you know, uh, me and my gang that I said I don't like nearly as much as growing up, this is a song I didn't even remember. I, I said I don't remember this song. Yeah, this one does get better as you age and start to understand more about what this is. And with their younger audience, maybe that's why it has so few plays. Yeah, it could be, yeah. One of the lines I really love is, we started losing her when she lost him, but to hear her carry on, you swear she's 17 again. Yeah, it's a really 
really good line. I, I have nothing bad to say about these lyrics. And it's such a weird thing to have so many critiques about so many of these other songs and then to just be smacked in the face with this this masterfully done track. I think everything this song does, it does better than anything else on the record. Scene setting, it's the best. Storytelling, it's the best. The lyrics are simple, but they're not underperforming. They pack a punch, but they don't overwhelm. I think My Wish has the bigger high. You know, this song doesn't ever really crank it all the way up to like 11, like My Wish does. <laughs> Why would you crank this song to 11 <laughs> ever? I know, I know. I'm just saying like, so maybe it's not fair to compare, but you're saying it does the best on everything. I said everything it does, it does the best. And it doesn't go to 11 but it doesn't try to fair enough not to mention too it's not a song that gets overplayed yeah it's not a song that you're gonna hear on the radio eight dozen times or at every graduation this is i guess if you want to call it a rascal flats deep cut it definitely cuts me deep (laughs) right yes we're getting into the end of this album here we're on to track 13 he ain't the leaving kind okay so this song began and i immediately i don't it just gave me lady annabellum vibes did it yeah, I don't know. The beginning of this song reminded me the song Drunk and I Need You Now popped into my head. Okay. Thinking about it, yeah, I can kind of get those vibes like tangentially. It was weird. I don't know. That's just what popped in my head when it started. I think this song is too ambitious. He Ain't the Leaving Kind tries to tackle too much in too little space. Like the song I mentioned earlier that they just kind of scaled back way too much and kind of just didn't give it enough of a build up for the audience. They didn't make it clear enough what was happening. He Ain't the Leaving Kind kind of feels like that, where if you don't go into the song understanding what's happening, you're going to have to do the digging yourself in kind of a negative way, especially back to back with Ellsworth I, I feel like this song feels undercooked by comparison they throw some bits and pieces of images at you like trying to drag him out of a courthouse and, and get him off our money and you really don't understand what's going on unless you already know this is another song about God about spirituality and faith you eventually figure that out as you get further into the song but... You, yeah but it takes a bit especially to mix these metaphors of like dragging him out of a courthouse and get him off our money and then to talk in the second verse about how she's lost her husband this is a song that's better on a second listen when you know what the song is about right because then all those metaphors are clever sure it starts to make sense once you know and maybe that's what they're going for maybe they hold off on making it clear what it's about to make their point because isn't their whole point that like people are forgetting and they're taking them out of everything and like the fact that it's not clear to you right away what it's about maybe is supposed to help emphasize the point sure yeah that makes sense i mean to talk about how god ain't the leaving kind and is you know not leaving yeah it's like even though you didn't even realize this song was about him you know it was he was here the whole time you know that's a good take and that freshens it up a little bit i like the chorus on this song it's good it is it is and it's a fine enough it's a catchy song to listen to even if you don't pay much attention to the lyrics it's i call this a middle of the pack song it's better than a lot of those earlier songs that i was stuck in that rut on but it's not up there with like the ellsworth or the my wish or the what hurts the most sure on that tier yeah that's about where it lands for me as well vroom vroom I guess, yeah, the only song we've got left to talk about is Life is a Highway. It's their cover of a Tom Cochran original. So, you know, another one they didn't put together themselves. The Cars song. Yeah, my first time hearing this song was way back in 2005 in a theater watching Disney Pixar's Cars. Yeah, this is the other song that's in my playlist, so it pops up from time to time. And honestly, I just kept thinking about how well this song would fit with Highway to Hell (laughs) from a storytelling purpose. Oh, yeah. Like, life is the highway that we take that can lead us to hell. Life is a 
a highway. There's a highway to hell. Life is that highway that gets you there, depending on the choices you make. True. And you know what? I'm sure that ACDC had this in mind when they wrote that song. Absolutely. Undoubtedly. Life's like a road that you travel on when there's one day here and the next day gone. Okay. Yeah, it's a fun song that's easy to jam out to. Good closer. It gets the honorable mention. Honorable mention. Life is a highway. I should have known and I probably could have guessed. Are we ready to move into the final spin? Yeah, I'm ready to move into final spin. What were your thoughts overall? Overall, my thoughts on this album are varied, I would say. The pendulum swings wide on this record between what's really good and classic Rascal Flats, and then it swings to the other side, and this is tacky, this is cheesy, this is overdone, this isn't my favorite. Should we break it down? Music? Should we break it down? Let's break it down. Music. They do a lot of very similar music throughout the album. They happen over and over again, but their melodies are really, really good. Their harmonies are always really tight and in tune. They're good at what they do. So I'm giving music an 80. 80? That's higher than I expected. Yeah, I think musically, it's not a record that's anything special, but I think it's got its charm. Lyrics is another really interesting category to pin down because, I mean, we did talk about some of these lyrics are just simple. I love it when you're here. I hate it when you're gone. You know, there's not much to that. Then we've got lyrics that are exact parallels of other lyrics, like we mentioned on those two songs that are literally synonymous. Sometimes hit, sometimes miss for me. Dude named Elrod jamming on an iPod versus just ask about Ellsworth, Kansas, 1948. Bring King Kong back. So I'm giving lyrics an 83. Fair enough. Instrumentation and production falls a little flat for me. Like I talked about production on the harmonies was always a little bit tinny. Canned, not my favorite. Instrumentation, sometimes there's some cool stuff they do. It's diverse on this record. They find good ways to mix it up. So I'm giving instruments a 79. 79, all right. And for overall vibe, I just, I hate to say that this album falls as flat as it does for me overall. Because it does, it's got some gems. My Wish, Life is a Highway, Ellsworth, What Hurts the Most. You know, it's got some big time Rascal Flatts songs. But you venture too far beyond those, you dig into pieces and Yes I Do and times where they really make you dig more than they should. I think at the end of the day, I'm giving vibe a 77. 77. All right. So what's that bringing up to? And again, remember, they didn't write most of these songs, so they're not going to get any extra points for being the composers. But that brings my final weighted score to an 80.2. 80.2. All right. So that's me. I, on the other hand, agree with you. Our hands are, are the same. Our hands uh... are the same. <laughs> I, on the same hand. <laughs> I agree with you. It's very sporadic. It's like you kind of said it earlier, zero to hundred to zero, but it had a lot more zeros than hundreds for me. There's 14 tracks and there was like a six track stretch where I just, nothing was hitting it for me, which is a significant chunk, but the highs were so high. Like I said, what hurts the most, Ellsworth, great song. So I really also struggled to decide where to put this one because I wanted to put it high based off of those songs. But when you're ranking an entire album, you have to also take into account, he said, the vibe or the cohesiveness and all of the all of the duds uh-huh. as well and before i give the exact number my top three in the order that they pop up on the album what hurts the most my wish ellsworth and then carnival mentioned to life is a highway three ballads and life is a highway <laughs> yep and so what i settled on for a score i ended up giving this one six king kong ding-dongs out of ten <laughs> well we might have to change that for legal reasons to l rod ipods <laughs> 
Six is a little surprising, I gotta be honest. I wanted to give it a seven. I originally had it as a seven uh-huh. as we talked about it, and I just kept hitting song after song and going, eh, nothing special, eh, nothing special. When about half of the album is nothing special, I couldn't justify putting it up there. Keep in mind, Dark Side of the Moon was a seven, right? So <laughs> Yeah, right. I felt it needed to be bumped down when I think I was letting the Ellsworths of the album pull it up to a seven when the album as a whole really only needed a six. I want to point out, you've historically been critical of my placement of Rascal Flatts albums. Yeah. And I like Rascal Flatts as a band, and you, as a singles listener, probably only know their highest highs, or at least are most familiar with their high highs. When you really get into the meat and potatoes, you dig into the muck here, and you get to the low lows or the meh songs. Yeah, I'm a little less critical of you now. Thank you. I'm glad I could kind of help you see my sides. But that's the end of Final Spin, which means it's time to thank you all for making it this far, and remind you again to go follow us on social media and follow us everywhere you listen to podcasts and all that jazz that James usually does because he remembers the handles and I don't. So James, take it away. Right. At Spin It Pod on Twitter, at Spin It Pod Official on Instagram, www.spinitpod.com on the internet and anywhere you listen to podcasts. What are we doing next week? Great question. I'm excited about the next artist. It's another Chicago fella. Okay. What's the genre? Well, it's been a while since we've covered a a rap album or a hip-hop album. Ugh, keep spinning. (laughs) Yeah, see you next week. Have a great week. Keep spinning. I might not be here. You'll be here and you'll love it. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe it'll be lower than Kanye. Who knows? Keep spinning.